According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, approximately 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. This is an alarming statistic as a family law professional who deals with custody cases regularly. Finding the balance between the child's safety and helping the child maintain a relationship with both parents is one of the hardest things to navigate. Add in the he said, she said phenomenon that happens with divorcing couples who often weaponize alcohol use against one another, and the situation is even more difficult. All of this is why Soberlink has been one of the most important tools for my clients dealing with these issues. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind regarding the child's safety. Soberlink helps keep the focus on the best interest of the child, which is really the most important part in a divorce case dealing with children. I've teamed up with Soberlink to create a parenting plan guide to help people going through divorce that involves alcohol in children. And you can download it today at soberlink.com slash toaster. And if you take a look and you think you're ready to order Soberlink, just mention how to split a toaster for $50 off their device price. Our thanks to Soberlink for sponsoring How to Split a Toaster. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, we're mourning our toasters. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Hi, Seth. I actually don't have a big introduction today, Pete. It's you and me. It's you and me, buddy. We're cutting through it all. We are going to peel away the onion. We're going to let people see our inner souls. Ew. Ew. Well, that's gross. You're nervous. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about grief in the grief process today. We're going to talk about our own experiences. Unfortunately, within the last 10 months, Pete and I have each uh, respectfully lost one of our parents. Uh, my mom passed away last May. Uh, Pete, what about your dad? Yeah, um, the 29th of December. So just uh, not not too long ago, he passed away between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, very suddenly. When we were chatting, I know, Pete, after your father passed, that we were talking about our own grief um, and how that's impacted me over the last mm-hmm. year and how it's you're kind of still in the heart of it now and i mentioned that's what people go through all the time when they're going through a divorce it's part of the grief process and we decided to bear our souls today um we're going to try and tell some jokes along the way if they don't hit the home or they're not funny we'll cut them out <laughs> we'll have andy do that <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to leave the uh, the silence in so you can know. You could maybe insert your own joke. It'll be a kind of a Mad Lib. Uh, insert your... We oh weren't funny enough. I used to love those yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's why I became a um, grammar nerd. <laughs> is Mad Lib. N- Mad Libs? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. This uh, this grief uh, subject is... It's surprising. I, I think my my challenge, and I, and I hope that 
that this conversation, like I'll be talking about it with the loss of, uh, obviously, of a loved one and, uh, you know, my favorite guy in the world, right? But in my reading on the subject and sort of exploring my own experience with it, uh, I've, I've come to learn that uh, this is a solemn truth about grief, that grief is grief is grief, that the emotional sort of physiological response, the psychological response to grief, it could be the loss of someone. It could be the loss of this important relationship in your life. It could be uh, it could be any number of things. It's going to cause a very similar uh, emotional experience. So I, I guess I say that as a way both of, of framing this conversation and of setup that we're talking about the loss of somebody important to us and what that caused in our lives, but also that we relate to the feelings of grief of losing of, of losing a marriage, of the dissolution of a marriage. Is that fair? A hundred percent. And I know that I've become a better counselor at law, right? Mm -hmm. It's the attorney and counselor at law. And they always say family law, boy, there's a lot of counseling that goes along with that. And what people don't realize, I think, at least I know I did not realize when I first practiced family law, that the counselor at law was actually a lot of grief counseling. Sure. Is understanding in the moment where my client was in their grief process because there's five stages they're not step one step two step three steps four step five they they're not linear at all you can be in one for one minute and one the next and one the other next and you can revert back so yeah, it, it really should be the the circus of grief, right? I mean, it is you, you're jumping from ring to ring to ring. It's the five ring circus of grief, of grief by uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross. I I think that is, um, that is certainly my experience. That that go jumping from and and the five stages since you brought them up: denial, anger, bargaining, uh, depression, and acceptance. Those are sort of the widely accepted sort of foundational elements of grief as presented in this model. Right. There have been many people who have come since then and, and uh, embellished the model and tweaked the model. But this is the one that sort of, I, I think, you know, when you talk about the stages of grief, this is what people think about. Exactly. And man, are you right on the money. It is not linear at all. At all. <laughs> so um, I'll let you tackle that one first, how that's impacted you, then I'll, and then I'll share mine on that. Sure. I was not able to be there because it, it happened uh, pretty suddenly, uh, the loss of my dad. And um, uh, and he had made some very clear choices about how he wanted his end of life care to look and decided, you know, I don't I, he said, I don't want to be ventilated. I don't want to be intubated. I just if, if that's the direction we're going, then I'm I I, I don't want to go that way. And uh, and so as a result, there was no time to, to for me to be present to travel and, and get there in time. And so. Um, Boy, the the moment I found out, uh, it was uh, just a just a crushing, like knee buckling blow um, to the stomach of just that that this this my entire universe went from uh, something that I understood to something I didn't understand at what felt like the flick of a switch, um, and. I, I so I I know I went through probably all five of the stages of grief in about ten minutes, <laughs> right right after the experience. It happens very very quickly. Right, right. 
there's no way he can yeah. be gone. You're really pissed yeah, off. Right. Please, please, I'll do please anything tell to me. get him yeah, back. You're lying to me. Right. Uh, and oh my God, how will life ever be the same to, oh, well, I guess this is the new world order. I got to grow up and figure out how to be. And, and that is the most miraculous sort of thing about this. Like losing and losing dad, I, I feel like was a, a step I didn't know I needed to take in my own growing up, in my own like adulting journey, you know? Right. We all become orphans one day. Yeah. We do. This is the, the the shittiest thing we all have to inherit at some point. That's right. At some point. Uh, and, and so that that circle was just crushing. But here are the things that that I think over the last two months now have been uh, sort of top of mind. That immediate sense of grief at the the event itself has sort of evened out. Right. That's that's I get it. The seas have have grown calm. What I did not expect was the fact that I have zero control over when I am impacted again over grief. It's tied to every artifact of this past life, whether it's artwork or furniture or clothes or or events. Just the other day, we got the last of the life insurance checks that had come in from these policies that paid out. Right. And that last right. check I'm looking at, and I just... I, I just fall into the couch because I just lose all feeling. Right. I mean, and most people have that, Pete. But when you got the check for $100 million, I would have fallen into the couch, too. <laughs> well, uh, right. I, I well, wish like, we were talking about that kind of money. But 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 you know what it, it was? It was the it was that sense that like as long as that check was out there. I didn't have to end the process of of like living with with him it, in Pete. Pete, we've talked about that, about divorce. Yeah. People will stay in litigation to stay in the marriage. Yep. So it is that same concept. There's something else out there that's keeping me connected to what I want to believe or how I feel. And even though you know intellectually, like this has happened or divorce, it's really happened. We're just going through paperwork now. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's the someone else has made the decision. We're splitting up and then they call it a divorce, which is a legal proceeding. There's the emotional one. But you've already moved out. You're not there. You're not, you know, bringing coffee service in the morning. Right. Like all that's gone. Right. And they're still married or still connected because they don't have a piece of paper where a judge signed. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's it. So, so that's the thing that I think is so surprising to me. That's that's one of them is that the, these artifacts that I didn't expect that I had uh, attributed so much weight, um, they they come out and they they smack me um, constantly. Right? It, it is really everywhere all the time. You just don't know when you're going to run, like you're going to turn a corner and suddenly run headlong into a reminder that your life is different than it was for for many years. In this case, all your life, and uh, and that you know, it, it is crushing. Well, grief was described to me this, this way is that when you're in the thick of it at first, it's as if you're in a storm out at sea and you don't have a boat and you don't have a life jacket. You are just in the ocean and the waves are just crashing over you and crashing over you and you're gulping in water and you're gulping in water and eventually the seas will start to calm and the sun will come out and be on your face and you'll be living your life 
and out of the blue, there will be the rogue wave that you didn't see coming on a beautiful day, and you're swallowing that water for that moment again. And I have found that to be true. And when that happens to me, um, since my mom's passing, when it when when that grief, when that wave hits me, I find myself saying to myself, and I've not never articulated this in the whole last 10 months. Um, I just say, like, oh mom. And I don't I don't know where I even get that. That's not something she'd ever say to me as a child. It's just like, like, I wish you were here. Like you would have loved this. Um, oh, and it, it could be, it could be something today. I went to Kai's school, my son's school. He did a, a declamation. He did his first stand up routine <laughs> in front of the entire Good school because he won the junior yeah. class. And I just was like a little bit sad because she would have loved to be there. Right. Yeah. And to see that. That's one of the that's one of the big moments I, I find I, when I'm most impacted by it. It's when I am driving down the road and I think of something stupid and there is no one else to call that would really get it the way dad would get it. Right. Right. There's nobody else to call where I could make make fun of this movie or this show that I just saw. And because I've got this perfect joke, like I can't tell that joke because no one else has that shared history, uh, you know, that we've cultivated. Yeah. Well, as you know, my mom was an attorney. Right. So we, you know, like I just loved talking the law with her and she just had this brilliant legal mind and I would talk about a case and she would like pull a case back out or a legal concept and she didn't practice family law. Like maybe she did very early in her career, a couple cases, but she would pull it back from the bar exam. (laughs) Right. I, I mean, ridiculous. Yeah. Or a, a rule of evidence or how this played out or just how lawyers think and talk like like I just miss that immensely. And sometimes I'll find an interesting case or I'll I'll say something in court or something will happen in one of the cases. And it's usually me complaining about the other lawyer and what they did or what the rule says and how they didn't follow it, right? Of you know, it of course right, it is. Right. But, and I just, like you're saying with the joke with your dad, like, I I don't have anyone, I mean, I got my friends that are lawyers and stuff, but like the way I talk to mom about the law, I just immensely miss. And, and unlike a divorce, I do not think about my former spouse every day. Every day I do think about my mom, which I did not do when she was alive. And I find that very strange. That is actually really strange. That's uh, that I, I 100% uh, relate to that. I, I wonder if, if there's a parallel, not specifically to you thinking about your, your mom versus your former spouse daily, but at, at what point did you find you were able to move past the the like transformation of of your life and and what it was with your former spouse you know what i mean like there is a there's a certain like milestone it took a while for me um and uh you know i was divorced as my fiance says for a long weekend three years i mean married for three years a long weekend and our divorce took all of three months we were like not going to do the craziness that some people do Um, which is hard to get out of your own way. You're grieving. I get it. I deal with it every day. And I found that really 
the divorce process and then being alone after the divorce ultimately made me who I am today. And it took a long time to find myself. I don't know if I ever really knew who I was even before I was married. I say that I got I lost myself in the divorce. And I've thought about that a lot. I've been to counseling and talked about that. But I think I was a different person before I was married, much different when I was, and I'm my true self now. And I know that my fiance brings out my best self in me, which she's helped me find, which is glorious. Um, but it took me a long time. And I don't think I was ready for a serious relationship for a really long time because I had to do that healing and figuring out. And I think that's the same with anything. You don't see people whose spouses die necessarily immediately, you know, getting on one of the apps. No, no, <laughs> you know, no. All right, I I totally. Your um, your father passed suddenly. My mom had cancer, uh. so it was one of those long processes. And my mom was tough as nails. She went to law school in the early '80s and was one of eight women in her law school class. Wow! Yeah. Right, like those women of that generation went through hell that they should not have had to go through and they became tough as nails. And I remember she was having chemo a couple of years ago and she said, you know, my hair might fall out. I've always wanted to have pink hair. I'll get a wig. And she called me up, Pete, and said, I was checking on her. And she goes, yeah, my hair started falling out in the shower mm-hmm. today. It just really got me down. And she was really depressed. And not thinking, and as I should think, and before I speak, I said, Mom, I'll shave my head to support you. I'm balding anyway. <laughs> and I'm thinking, she's going to say, Yeah, I'm fine. She's tough. She says to me, That is the sweetest thing. Thank you. And I'm like, Oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> and I went home that night and I shaved my head. I've been bald ever since. <laughs> my son told me, Dad, you've got a good you head. You could be a head yeah. model from the eyebrows <laughs> up, you know? <laughs> and and my mom always appreciated that. And um, I will probably always be bald from now to the end of, of my days. And sometimes I think about my mom yeah. because of that. Yeah. Um, but um, but I was, I was with her. Yeah. I was in the room when she passed. And when you talk about a light switch, even though we all know it was coming, even though hospice care was there, um, it's like a light switch mm-hmm. because there's, even though the breathing was labored, she was breathing one minute and then she wasn't. And then she was not. And it, and I mean, we were very thankful that we had love and support. She got to say goodbye to all of the relatives flew in. Um, and I don't think it makes it any easier. It's not a competition like, oh, it, because people will say, oh, you got to say goodbye where maybe you did not pee because it happened so quick, right? And I'm like, it's all bad, right? Because I'm like, yeah, I said goodbye to my mom. That was horrible. Right. So there's no right. There's no wrong. It's just sucks. Yeah. It all just sucks. And um, I didn't have 
a lot of the anger phase, which is a big phase in divorce. Yes. Because uh, my mom lived a great life. She she wanted to, she passed the way she wanted to. Um, but yeah, on her uh, terms, that makes it easier to gr- to sort of, you know, grieve as a verb when, right. you know, when everything goes with peace. Right. But there was some bargaining going on. I'll tell you that. Yeah. You know, it's hard. I did. Uh, I do uh, find myself. I still, you know, driving around, I'll still talk to him and just kind of let him know, you know, talk, even though I know I'm, you know, in, for my belief system, I know I'm talking to my steering wheel, but uh, it just feels good to get the words out. Um, I want to talk a little bit about numbing um, because that's a, that seems to be a, uh, an important topic in in grief. Uh, you know, I was talking to a, a dear friend who's in the divorce uh, process himself, and you know, when we, we would talk right after his former spouse moved out, and um, you know, we were kind of joking around and like, you know, are there any silver linings? He says, "Oh God, yeah, the house is so quiet." He takes a beat, so no one can hear me screaming because I'm doing a lot of screaming. Right. Uh, and that's, you right. know, that's the sort of uh, bittersweet thing that I think puts, and and he would talk about this. He says, it's just really easy to let myself do the things that I know I wouldn't do if she was around to get, you know, a second or third drink to, you know, just start eating crap to, you know, do the things that make me, give me that little dopamine push or that, you know, that numbing out push that that makes makes the screaming less, important did you did you deal with that yeah i dealt with numbing yeah but the way i dealt with it um which is crazy is i went and played poker (laughs) you weren't expecting that were you pete i was not i literally went and would play texas hold'em at a local casino here And the reason that was numbing for me, it did a couple things. One, this is going to be surprising. I'm an extrovert, (laughs) okay? I needed to be around people, Mm -hmm. right? And it's all about observing when you're playing poker, and it's all about cards and numbers and math that shuts off the emotional side. Yes. And I could go there, and I could play cards, and I had my systems, and I would never drink. I would get a beer and sip it. And I would buy rounds for the table because I'm just doing a return on my investment there, man. The more they're drinking, the easier it is to take their money. Right. (laughs) But I am literally was doing that for about a solid two years. It was ridiculous how good I was at this game, but that was a way that I could just shut it all down and grind it out at the table and do the math. And to this day, if you put three cards down on the table, I can tell you what the best hand is, but someone could be holding the worst hand and, and rank them in a millisecond. Why are you an attorney? Feels oh, like you Pete. should be on a circuit. Like there's a circuit that's you just know. It's got a Seth Nelson-shaped hole just waiting to be filled. <laughs> Why don't you just keep pointing out the rest of my mistakes <laughs> in my life? How about we talk about how I moved from Grand Cayman to come yeah. back to go to law school? I'd love school. to talk about that. Yeah. Let's let's start digging up <laughs> yeah. those particular scars, shall we? That's good. Talk, talk about grief. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I, I just, that's, that numbing for me was, was part of it. Um, and... And it's hard to get through. And when you're going through a divorce, 
and you've got kids and you've got, you're worried about a house and all this other stuff. And it's even worse now with social media and unfriending. And then you're on the dating apps and then they pop up on the dating app. You know, it's, it's, it's like always in your face a lot more than those songs in the seventies where every time I look around, I see where you are. Like literally you're carrying them around in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. And that's worth noting too, that at least in, in my experience, it's, uh, because of the sort of delay of amplification of social media, I'll feel like I've kind of moved past this thing. And then someone out of nowhere will respond to a post about it that was two months old and say, oh, my God, I'm just discovering this now. I'm so sorry. And witnessing right. them go through the grief again is it just brings up the same old feelings again, and it can get very challenging. I think that's, for me, the the real effort, the real muscle to develop is a sense of patience, both with others and myself in this process. Yep. I can't judge other people who were close to him for experiencing exactly what I experienced just because they didn't do it until much later. And uh, that's right. I'm, I'm trying so hard to be patient and understanding that everyone who was close to this person that was close to me has to experience this on their own to some degree. And then your closest friends or people that maybe you haven't run into, but you're friends with, and then you run into them, even though they know this happened to me just last weekend, they said, how are your parents doing? And then I looked at them because it kind of hit me like, you mean my dad, yeah. right? And I didn't say it, but it must have been on my face. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. I, I know your mom. I'm like, no, no, yeah. it's fine. I, you know, like, thanks for actually, and I actually said, thanks. I said, thanks. I don't know if I thought of her today. So, and, yeah, right. you know, I'm not diving into politics at all. But Joe Biden has seen grief in his life. Yep. And he had something that he said that has stuck with me and it has nothing to do with politics, but he said, and I'm sure this is in all sorts of grief books and grief counseling that one day your loved one will bring a smile to your face as opposed to sadness uh, or something of that nature. And down the road, when you think of them, it won't be as sad as it is today. You'll think of all the positives and the good things. And, mm -hmm. and so when I'm sad about it, I kind of think about that. And when you think about that, the sadness kind of subsides, those seas, those waves kind of mellow out a little bit. Do you have a go-to, uh, a go-to memory in that, in that regard from mom? I don't, I don't have like one thing. Uh, I think she was such, um, such a powerhouse, um, and so influential in my life. Um, and not just becoming a lawyer. Like, that's the superficial shit, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like, um, uh, but on things that I do, how I approach life, how I approach problems, how I think about the world, how I parent, uh, how I don't mm -hmm. parent, mm -hmm. right? There's shit that she, she did. I was like, no you know, to self. No, I'm not doing <laughs> that. <Stricken laughs> right. from the record. You know? Right, right. right. Um, so, and we all try to do that, right? We, you know, um, but I don't have a, a go-to. How about you? I know it's still early for you. I do. I, I do have one that, that makes me smile every single time I think about it. It happened, oh gosh, I want to say 30 years ago. Um, 
we I was in college at University of Colorado, and my folks came up to Boulder to t- for Thanksgiving weekend, and we went to a very fine restaurant with a very fine buffet, and we went up to the buffet line, and Dad, uh, you know, Mom went through, and then I went through, and then Dad stopped at the meat, and he sort of backed up and waited for like four or five other people to get through until the, you know, the person who was cutting the meat was almost done with this carcass of, and it was both ham and turkey. And, right, right. And I'm sitting here watching this guy and he's like a an ambush predator. He's just like eyeballing, just waiting <laughs> for the right moment. And then he, he steps in back into the line and he says to right. the attendant, can you give me some of that slop down there? And he wanted like the fat and the skin and the, the nastiest parts. And just please oh, pile it right on my stuffing right there. Just pile it right on. And that has become the most disgusting avatar of my dad's existence that he even made it 30 more years is a testament to his intestinal fortitude, literally. Uh, and so That's that became right. kind of a thing. You're going to eat right. the slop on that? You know, we kind of made a family joke. And I laugh every single time I, I think about that. Right. That's awesome. Let me let me ask you this this question, not related specifically to um, to your experience, but the the post experience. What is the what do you think is the kindest thing anyone has done for you as they were in, in an effort to help you through your grief process? Because I I hear this all the time, right? You're like, what do you need? That's the thing. You tell me if you need anything. Just let me know. I'm here for you. Oh, tell right. me if you need something. Yeah. 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 I think I called you and said those exact words and said, and I heard those for so long and you're going to tell me nothing. Yeah. I got to tell you, I think um, the two people that really helped me get through it, uh, one was my fiance. Um, She had, was previously married and when she was married her former spouse father passed away so unfortunately she had experience in this role that she was playing right um but when i needed to cry she let me cry when i needed to be strong for kai she let me be strong for kai and she was just there um just there for me and sometimes not doing anything just being there and sometimes not being there, right? But intuitively, she knew what I needed when I needed it and helped make it happen. And I can't even pinpoint it or explain how she did it, but she did. And the other one was my former spouse. And if she's listening to this podcast, she's thinking right now, what, I didn't do anything, but she did. She took the time to, bring Kai up and see my mom, you know, on quote unquote, her weekend. Sure. You know, said, you know, she wanted to come see mom and they hung out, you know, and, uh, and my mom to the day she passed, always loved her, always thought she was an amazing mom, um, an amazing person. Um, and my mom would frequently tell me that her her generation would talk about their kids' divorce and how awful it was. And my mom would constantly tell me that you and Kai's mom figured it out. And I get really quiet when those conversations happen because I don't want to say 
how great it is and how my grandson is amazing because his parents figured it out. Yeah. Right. So I think just by her being there and at the funeral, sitting with the family, right? It's not, no, go sit in the back. Like your Kai's mom, his grandmother passed. You're sitting next to Kai, right? Like whatever that was. And, and your husband's sitting next to you. I, I, those little things to me, and I have this issue about inclusion. <laughs> I don't like feeling excluded. So I know this is one of my <laughs> triggers. So maybe this shit is all about me, but it's those little things like that to yeah. me um, that, that helped me get, get through it. I, I think that question is is so hard uh, because I don't I, I think of the people that that were saying those things to me, like, what can I do? What do you need? You know, what can I do for you? It, it was those folks who hadn't lost anybody for the most part and were just like me, like I I legitimately didn't know <laughs> what I needed. Right. Uh, I, I think the best thing, uh, the, the the best thing, the thing that stands out for me the most is the moment I heard it happened. I, I happened to be texting with with a friend and I stopped te texting and just sort of ghosted him. And within a half hour, the doorbell rang and he had door dashed a mod pizza of my favorite toppings to have it delivered to the house <laughs> because I hadn't been eating for days. Like I'd been kind of on call. Right. And he just he said, I didn't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to support people through this. So, so I, I sent, sent you a pizza. pizza. Honest to God, that's the that's the single thing I remember most was don't ask me what I need. Just do it. Right. Just right. Do it because right. I will be yep. no help in that process. Right in the immediacy after a, a, an event that is that merits grieving, I am a, I'm a useless shell of a person. And I think that's the thing I just want to to share with folks. Like I, I certainly don't have any answers, but I can tell you what felt good, and what felt good is just take care of stuff because I'm helpless and hopeless, and I don't know what to do. Right. Like we, we make fun of our producer, Andy, all the time. But honestly, he didn't even ask. He just did stuff. And that's amazing. That's just like takes such a huge load off. I, I look for every opportunity I can to make fun of that guy. But and CP. Yeah, this is so I bad. Know. Because he's the one that cuts these shows together and he's going to put that like on, on a loop. A loop yeah. There'll now, probably be an right? echo, like Look. a God voice echo on it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Uh, anyhow, we uh, so let, let's talk about it from the perspective of somebody who has a grieving event done unto them. Right. Like when, in your experience, uh, watching people separate and the people, the ripples in the pond that that fall out from the event itself. Talk about that. So I think the hardest thing about divorce when we're talking about grief is you're not in the same category and it's not linear and you're not there at the same time. So just like if you're out on a first date and someone asks you to marry him, you're like, whoa, that's a little fast. Yeah, <laughs> right? right. Never call me again. The same is true when you're breaking up they're not necessarily there at the same time. You could have been with your spouse for years who was going through this grieving process, begging you to go to counseling. Please do this. Um, uh, okay, 
I, I'm just in denial. This is we're not getting divorced. Uh, maybe everyone goes through problems. We yeah. just go we through problems. This we is can fix it. We can right, yeah. right. Let's go to counseling, whatever. And then angry, and that's when you get to the fights because it's still happening. And that person gets to acceptance, but it's not until they get to acceptance that they actually come to you and say, "I want a divorce." Well, shit. Now they're done, and you might never have known that things were bad. You might have had your head in the sand. You might not have noticed it. Maybe you thought you were doing what you needed to do because you were, quote, providing for the family or you were taking care of the kids or whatever roles you guys ended up doing and you thought things were fine. And we, oh, yeah, well, everyone has problems, right? Um, I thought we'd just get through this rough patch, right? Well, shit, you don't just get through it. You got to do something about it, right? But that person is like, what? I'm in denial. This isn't happening. And they haven't even started this process. And the other one's done. And you got a lot of catching up to do and you don't even want it. And those cases usually don't settle unless you happen to catch that person on a bargaining day or I just want to be done. Yeah. Right? And that's where I tell people We have to file for divorce, not to be a jerk, but you've got to get through this process. And this other person's never going to get through a process until there's a deadline. In filing with the court system, as slow as it is, at least there's a deadline. And that can be very difficult on both sides because the other one's at acceptance like, what, we just get this done. We don't even have any kids. We're dividing assets. What's the problem? Well, the problem is they're in denial. Mm-hmm. right and there's nothing we can do about that other than move the case forward and maybe after your divorce they're still in denial um and i think it's just really really difficult what what's your experience with kids kids who who you know and that because that's a that's another one of those ripples outside of the the event itself uh they're grieving too we've said it a thousand times pete they are resilient And it's all how it is approached. Kids, like all of us, look at the world as how does this impact me? And they will be sad, they will grieve, but how the parents work together that, look, you had a vision, you had a plan in your head that didn't go according to plan. Life is about, you know, the joke, right? We plan, God laughs, right? Yeah. So, but... You know, what I've learned working with Laura Gallagher, who was on our show, the psychologist about working with teams, plans are what we deviate from. We make plans knowing that we are going to deviate from that plan. Yeah, you're not adaptable if you don't have a plan. You're an improviser. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So I think with kids, it's also important to talk about them that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay and makes it easier to identify the emotion. When you can identify and state the emotion that you're in, that's called self-awareness and that's healthy. Yeah. And so when you can tell a kid, you know what? It's okay if you're mad at dad. It's not about blame. If you want to blame me, if you're mad, if your life got harder and it's because your parents decided not to live under the same roof, You're allowed to be mad. What are you going to do with that? Right? How are we going to get through that? 
because you're not staying mad. It's an emotion the rest of your life, right? Let's talk about that. And if you are not ready to talk about it, that's okay too. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And because that's how healthy people live and and we care about each other. We want to be healthy and we're actually doing this because we think it's best for you, even though it doesn't feel like it. Well, and it, it, it very much that, you know, some part of the process is learning how to get to the other side so that you can make room for the positive memories. You can make room for the things that fill the emptiness uh, it, by way of thinking about the, the times you had together that were positive, that built a life of, of whatever it was. Right. And I'm never offended if my fiance says, oh, my former spouse and I used to love going to this restaurant. It's not like I'm saying, oh, we can't go to that restaurant. Like, get your fucking ego out of the way. <laughs> they got great food. Like, you know, um, and let's one up it, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I do understand, though, that it's okay to not be able to go to that restaurant for a time just because I might be a hot mess. Like, it's just there are a lot of memories there. And that's right. It's, it's going to be hard to experience that. But that's called grief. That's called grief. Right, right. Right. <laughs> but but the objective, I really like that, that repositioning the objective. The objective is not to create these protected spaces that no one can ever I- I- encroach upon. Right. This is we're, we're not talking about the secret trunk in the attic that's full of the old life stuff. The, right. The mystery box. Right. Get rid of the mystery box. You don't need a mystery box in your life. And that whether it's an actual mystery box or a Fuddruckers, like you don't right. you don't need those kinds of protected spaces. Just get to the, the, the objective is getting to the other side of it. So you can remember the love parts and and the happy parts, and you don't have to be just e- expressionless and sad, um, you know, at the at the grieving parts. Yeah, and I actually find some things very humorous that when you talk about like what you look back on, even the process of my mother's death. Right, she was in the hospital, and they come in to do physical therapy. And this very nice woman comes in who's a physical therapist in a hospital. Like, you've got to be a saint, right? To have this job. And she comes in and says, you know, it's time for physical therapy. And my mom looks at her and holds up her hand and just says, denied. (laughs) (laughs) She just says, Denied. Just this was and, like uh, uh, not accepting the fact that this is that where we were in this process. No, she knew where she was. She's like, it's going to be painful. It's not going to fucking help me. <laughs> I'm not doing that. And I know the damn law. If I tell you not to touch me and you touch me, that's assault. Oh my and God. I know you're trying to help me physical. That's what's going. On. And my mom, who was, you always know where you stood. There was never a question. She just looked at that woman and said, denied, and held up her hand. Who was her hand was frail. Oh. Her arm is like you would picture yeah, right, it, right? right? Denied. My fiance, who gives everyone the benefit of the doubt and is sweet and kind and caring, said, I didn't even know that was something you could do. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I, I would have said. I don't really want to, you know, it really hurts. I'm not feeling well. And and they would have said, yeah, but this is to make you feel better. And I would have been like, okay, yeah. you know. Denied. Like, 
that makes me want Denied. to get a stamp of some sort. Like, I just want to be able to right. do that. I, I have one story similar to that, of the, the hospital conversation that I think is probably worth sharing, just in terms of a life lesson on bedside manner. Uh, and I didn't realize this was funny uh, until uh, many weeks had gone by. But now I find it, I think, possibly one of the funniest things that I've I experienced in this process. Having this conversation before my dad passed with my mom and the doctor and the care team, and I'm we're all on this call together and she's in the room and the doctor gives us this list of really horrible things, like really horrible things, like things that don't give you any sense that there is an upside. And my mom, bless her, she says, uh, wait, 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 wait. You're giving me a lot of really bad news right now. Are you telling me my husband is dying? And the doctor, who I think received his bedside manner training in law school. Oh, said nice jab i like it Did you see that that was for you yeah that's good he said um after thinking way too hard well i'm not telling you he's not dying a fucking double <laughs> negative you've got to deal with a double we negative had to parse that uh. in the hospital on in the with the care team i'm not telling you he's not dying <laughs> Why would you? Why would you say that to anyone? Oh my god! Anyone? Let me tell you. Yeah, my mom had an amazing doctor who she really liked. I did not. Oh, and it's the same reason you're saying because I'm having a conversation with her, not in front of my mother, and I say, "We all know she's dying, but she's waiting for you to tell her." Yeah. There's nothing else to do. And she said, well, I, you know, part of what I do, you, she says, you never know when it might come, you know, you never know. Um, and she said, and I don't remember, like, you know, if, you know, you could get hit by a bus, you used like one of those things. Right. And I was like, your job isn't to give her hope. Your job is to tell her her medical prognosis. Yes. That just to this day really gets under my skin because my mom is the woman who would say, tell me the facts. Give me the facts. I'm going to do the analysis, right? Yeah. Um, and then I can make the decisions. I just feel she wasn't giving the, all that information to let my mom make her decisions. Like this false hope out yeah. there. Um, Awful. So I'm with you. Double negative, man. That's rough, worse. Right? That's rough. God, that's yeah, horrible. I didn't care for it. It wasn't in law school because we're taught not to use double negatives. Oh, I'm just saying. Oh, good. Got to defend my profession. You did, yeah, you did. You did good, kid. <laughs> Especially against the doctors, were my uncle and cousin. Oh, they're probably. You know, I'm, I'll talk I'm to sorry, them about this. Cousin. You did. You're, you guys are doing great. I'm oh. sure it's not you though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I appreciate uh, having the conversation with you, Seth. Obviously, uh, neither of us are experts in grief counseling, just going through it and uh, like everybody else. And this is a um, this is a it, it is the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And uh, that is not a, that's not pleasant. It is just not pleasant. It's not. I appreciate you sharing all this, Pete. It's and I, for anyone out there. I hope this helps. I. I understand we have a question from a listener, though, Pete. We sure do. And this one this one turns the old frown upside down. Okay, let's hear it. 
All right, here we go. This is from Samantha. Samantha, first of all, thank you so much for writing. We really appreciate you uh, contributing to this show. Here we go. First of all, says Samantha, I love your show in all caps with many exclamation points. May all questions begin with such exuberance. I've been listening to y'all since the beginning of the podcast, and I can't say thank you enough for the advice and comedy that you both bring to the show. When I'm having a bad day to do due to my divorce circumstances, I just push play on your podcast for a good laugh. And yes, Seth, I agree with your fiance about the weekend marriage you were previously in. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I didn't even know that was in there. <laughs> uh, pretty good. Uh, Samantha goes on. I was married for 13 years and separated for the last four years. In mediation four years ago, my soon-to-be ex and I signed a document here in Texas, Samantha says parenthetically, that we would not introduce our kids to anyone till six months after our divorce. Here we are four years later, and he's still not signing the final divorce papers. The guy has several control issues, hence why we're getting divorced, and yes, lawyers are involved. I have a wonderful person that I've been seeing the past two years, and I'm looking forward to him meeting my kids. Once I finally get my ex to sign papers, how much trouble, contempt of court, would I be in if I didn't wait the full six months for him to finally meet the kids? My kids know about the boyfriend, and I feel like I'm doing more damage by them knowing about him, but not being able to meet him. Any advice is greatly appreciated. Okay. First off, we could do a whole show just on this question. Yeah. But I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. Okay. One, this guy might still be going through the grieving process and she's at acceptance. Look at that. Look at what we just did there. Call back. Well done. Exactly. Exactly. Twice in like I one know. show. This is amazing. Okay. So I hate these provisions that people put in their agreements. So I'm just talking Where do generally. these provisions come from? Like, emotionally, you're sitting in the room with people. What is it that motivates these kinds of things getting written into documents like this? It is the parent going through the divorce, trying to think about what's best for the kids, and we shouldn't introduce anyone right away because somehow that's going to screw them up. Which it might. It also might not. Yeah. Right? It's how you handle it. Obviously, some time that goes by. Usually, um, I don't like these provisions because one, the courts will not put this provision in a final judgment in the document, the divorce decree, unless, unless it's in a marital, it's in a parenting plan or an agreement. Now, check your local jurisdiction, but this is not something that if you read Florida case law, you're going to find. Oh, judge, I'm asking not to introduce anybody because it's all speculative. It just doesn't happen. I won't bore you with the law on it. Okay. I don't know what it's like in Texas. Okay. Nobody knows what it's like in Texas. So, hey, oh. What exactly? So, I'm a little confused about this because it said they signed a document. I don't know what that document is. I don't know if that document's been turned into a court order. Therefore, I don't know how much trouble you're going to be if you don't follow that court order. Okay? Yeah. Second, I can't imagine anyone would be in a whole lot of trouble. Talk to your lawyer. Don't talk to me. But we have clients all the time that will say, my document says X. And I say, yes, it does. It's a court order. I have to advise you to follow the court order. Their next question is, what happens if I don't? Which is exactly what she's asking here. You can't unring the bell. The, usually, 
the overarching theme is you have to act in what's in the best interest of the children, right? Mm-hmm. So what's a court going to do? Yeah, it, you know, if let's just say you get through the the uh you know, documents getting signed and you do it in a month or two weeks or three months. Yeah, what does doesn't the court have other stuff to do? Yeah, and what I usually think about, and actually Tammy Spar said this, uh, the mediator that we had on the show. People get all wrapped up in, I want this from the court, I want this in agreement, is a court going to do this? If you think about a married couple intact and what a court may or may not do on raising those kids, that's pretty much what courts do when you get divorced. <laughs> Right? I mean, LaCourt like, is as likely to come into my house and help me raise my kids. Right. That's just not what they're there to do. They're like, okay, best interest of the kids. Let's figure out a parenting plan. We're done. Right. That's what they would love to do. But like sometimes people are like, well, I want him not to introduce anybody or to do this or that when he's with it. like a court's not going to come into your house and say, Pete, you got to read the kids bedtime stories every night. Right. Like, that's just not what happens. So, but the thing I also don't understand about the question is it seems like they signed one document at mediation, but then they can't get them to sign another document. So I'm not sure what that is. And that's why I'm saying talk to your lawyer, go through the process, get it in front of a judge, do whatever you need to do to get this done. Yeah. Right. This is the final divorce paperwork, right? There's a signature that goes on final divorce paperwork. He's just sitting on like a manila envelope full of stuff that says sign here. I don't know. And if he is, you're not divorced yet. Go set it for a hearing. Go set it for trial because judges are there to solve disputes and to get the process going. So So this is a a potentially a different dispute, which is I can't get my soon to be former spouse to sign this paperwork. That's something you could schedule a hearing on. Yeah. And what I mean by that is nowhere under Florida family law are you required to sign a document. There's only one document you're required to sign. And I'll go to court and say, judge, they won't sign it. Hold them in contempt, but let me get divorced. Yeah. Right? Okay. Like, so ultimately, you go in front of a judge, right? There's all sorts of people that owe people money, and there's a court order saying they have to pay it, and they don't pay it. Wow. Judge goes in and says, show me their bank account. It's there. I'll garnish the bank account. I'll freeze the account. There's all sorts of things that happen to people that don't want to do things when the courts get involved. There isn't one person sitting in jail that would have walked in there on their own. Right. Right, right, got it. It's because the court said it, and there was sheriffs there with handcuffs. That's that's handy to know. I, the court is there to solve disputes. This is a dispute. This may be the meta dispute, Samantha, that you didn't even know you had an opportunity to address. Check your local jurisdiction. Of course. Again, we don't know what it's like in Texas. <laughs> right, but I really, I really love the beginning. I love your show. Yeah, let's talk more about and that. <laughs> yes, Seth, I agree with your fiance. And the reason I'm coming back up is because we're trying to offset the loop of Andy being such a good guy earlier in the show. Oh God, so tiresome. Hey, Samantha, thank you for writing in, and for anybody else, you too can get your questions onto this show. Just visit howtosplitatoaster.com/slash/askaquestion. And it'll take you to a form where you can ask a question. Howtosplitadoaster.com slash ask a question. 
and uh, you can ask your questions. There's a form that comes up. You you can ask completely anonymously. We don't track anything. It doesn't save your name if you don't write it in there. If you just want to, to ask a, a question, uh, we're very excited to get more of these questions <laughs> in these shows. Thank you for your participation. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and your attention, uh, especially on a hard topic. Certainly hard enough to talk about. I think we did okay. I think we got through it okay. Yeah, we're okay. But, you know, we won't tell JT, our um, health guy that was on before, fitness coach. Maybe it's time for a beer and some pizza. Oh, so time for beer and pizza. Thank you, everybody. Uh, on behalf of uh, Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.